to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who have been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green-eyed mountain jack because I'm evil. My middle name is Misery. Yeah, L I'm evil. So don't you mess around with me. The velvet tones of rock and roll DM. Uh, <laughs> that or possibly over there. <laughs> I might have just uh, blown my mic out. I don't know which one it went, but you know we'll see. That you sound okay. Like. You still sound That's okay. all in post production. That's post production, guys. That's the behind the glitz. I'll fix it later. We'll we'll have the we'll have the kobolds fix it later. The kobolds who secretly run and edit this show. All them. <laughs> <laughs> like the kobold city under Waterdeep. You know, every you good know, villain every good mm-hmm. villain needs their minions. And uh, kobolds are their preferred minions, the draconic villains. Very and that's villains. why tonight, is it, what a segue, right? Tonight, we're talking about how to run your villains. So all the thought and work and uh, grand schemes we put into running our villains, our bad guys, multiple levels of them. And how we try to make that something that the party has fun with and is genuinely terrified of. Not necessarily in that order. So, you know, what are you trying to do with your villains? Do you have any, any archetypes you're trying to recreate or anything that you're trying to particularly achieve when you come up with a villain? I think one of the biggest challenges with creating a villain is that you're looking to create a unique character with a unique set of motives. Mm. It's best to stay away from the tropes. You know, it's great if you recreate the D&D version of Darth Vader. That's just wonderful. But no, I think everyone's looking for something that's original. And some of the best villains have a point. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back against that a little bit. Because I'm going to go back to the meme I shared a couple of weeks back where it was the, mm-hmm. behold, my homebrew world of a mishmash of all video games, books, and movies that I've ever watched kind of thing. <laughs> um, that's um, different. Because in the end, like, like there's, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. But to what Tony was saying, I do agree in the sense that uh, the uniqueness comes with how do you utilize those tropes that we're all gonna, we're all gonna go with. Um, I will say, I think there's a big difference though between how much time am I spending with my villains if they're a uh, Thorn. You've said like the the little bad, big bad thing, like the Buffy thing. So, like, the big, big guy, that's who I'm really, like, that's when I'll really delve in. You know, uh, someone like a Strahd or something. But if it's just, like, you know, Joe Blow gangster guy, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what I do with him, you know, <laughs> how much, uh, how much uh, uniqueness comes out from him. You know, the tricky part for me is I want my players to hate the villains. I also, as we said, I want my villains to have a, a motive that makes sense. 
I think it's important. Like, I think you don't, you don't want just evil for evil's sake. I think the villain should ha- should make sense from the villain's point of view, even if it's not a nice sense, even if it's an evil, even if they're clearly malicious and evil, it should make sense when you're describing what happened, what the villain does from the villain's point of view. The tricky part I found is doing that without making it so evil that the players start getting unhappy to have to deal with this guy. You ever run into that? Well, I played in a Waterkeep game where Halister was my antagonist. And let me tell you, he could fuck with the players at a professional level. He had an obscene (laughs) amount of resources, an equally obscene amount of time, and more insanity than, you know, you could shake a stick at. So, you know... At some point, it does get gets rough because it's like, okay, I come into my end room and, you know, something horrible happens and I'm trying <laughs> to leave. Something horrible happened? No. You go to the bathroom, ah, something horrible happens. And then you get in danger of a gotcha situation or a sequence of them. Yeah, Tony, I, I, I know what you're saying with that. And I actually ran into that a little bit. We were actually talking about it on the on the cast. Oh, God, long, long time ago. Um, but where... Someone like like my, the current one with Strahd, because he's my he's probably has to be my biggest, unique, big big bad, uh, you know, manipulative, uh, you know, really you can just chew up scenery with this guy, right? Um, it's his world. We're all just playing in it. Right. Really. Yeah, that's what, that's, like, what, that's what you know. Curse of Strahd is. It's his world. One of the most iconic villains of all time. Well, you know, D and D or not, you know, one of the most iconic. So that's easy, but. You run that risk, like Tony, you were just saying, of you want to bring him out. You want him to screw with the party. You want to show how much he has control over you and create that fear. But then do you want every other session? Oh, here he comes again. Here, You know, it's like the A-team with that general. He just always shows up every general time. General Yeah, right? Or like uh, the Incredible Hulk with the investigative journalist. He's always there. Like it loses some of its... Um, it loses some of its uh, je ne sais quoi. Well, it, <laughs> I think in Italy think? they say that. I'm pretty sure that's Italian. Or, or something French. International listeners. Uh, definitely French. <laughs> but one of the biggest problems surrounding, if we're going to go right to the big villain, is so you rule out this powerful villain like Strahd. Why doesn't he just come and kill the players? Done. Dope. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, and it's one of the things you run into, especially Dave, with what you were just talking about. Okay, you've got this huge, big, bad guy. He's got way too much power for the for the party to deal with at this level. Yeah. Why doesn't he just come and wipe them out? And I think, well, I think there are easy answers to that question in any well written story. You do have to deal with it, right? Because there's a couple reasons why he might not wipe the party out, and none of them really let the party be badass. You know, if the party is a big enough threat he should show up and probably try to wipe them out, right? I mean, if, if the party... Well, it's the nature of... Why not? Yeah, I think he's an, he's an interesting one uh, specifically because of the nature of his uh, his character. He is... It, it works into the personality. And we could do a whole episode about that, and I don't want to waste time on that, but um, there are very specific reasons that work into why he doesn't just come out and annihilate, Right. Um, that's actually a great point, though, because what are they? Oh, well, I mean, not to not to spoil too much stuff, but in essence, it's so you got this vampire lord that's been stuck in this area in the mists for 400 years, let's say. Right. 
he is the Lord of all he surveys, or so it seems, right? There might be larger forces at play. At some point, you're just bored, right? I mean, there's only so much Barovian blood you can drink. There's only so many times you can run after Tatiana. There's only so many times that you can terrorize people, right? You start to get bored with things. So for me, and I think for a lot of people who are running that, Strahd, it's, this, it's the cat and mouse game. So adventurers get stumble in to his lands through various means, and he gets to bat them around a little bit until he's bored of them, and then either they die or he does whatever he does with them, right? It makes them his, his uh, vampire spawn or something, let's say. But for that, it's very much like, I'm just bored, so I want something to interest me, you know? But there are other machinations um, that you guys are gonna start to get into as to what else might be at play. But yeah, he doesn't come and wipe you out immediately because ooh, this is this is kind of fun. This is this is something different than a Monday, right? He's got like a constant case of the Mondays, right? Where <laughs> the party's just here to help Strahd with his Mondays. Yeah, but Thorin, yours in Woodstock, you brought your version of Strahd in, as we talked about, who's much more the Vlad the Impaler, Machiavellian type of character, and. uh same thing. He's not looking to wipe people out because he's trying to consolidate power. He wants more and more. So he he seems to be using this as his way to he doesn't want to wipe them out because that's not his that's not his end goal. Right. Well, is just to have a fist fight with uh, there's, the heroes. There's two reasons for that. Uh, and that's part of it. And part of it, so, but this is actually, this gets to exactly the point I wanted to talk about, though, because if you have this villain, like Tony said, why doesn't he just come and wipe the party out? And the bottom line is there either needs to be a reason he can't or a reason he doesn't want to. In, yes. in, in the case of the big bads in Woodstock Wanderers, and there's, I'll, I'll throw out a few spoilers here. So, yeah, if you're in the party, you know, may, may, maybe look away or maybe pay attention <laughs> if you missed some of this stuff. This stuff might have already been mentioned. You just aren't remembering it. Tony and I are going to look away right now. So yeah. from Strahd's point of view, number one, he actually is not corporeally in this world. Mm -hmm. He's influencing. He's trying to spread vampires. He's trying to bring this world into the demi his demi-plane of dread. He cannot actually step out here and kill you. When Tony's group, when when the original group, or the first group that ran into ran into him, ran into him, he was he was basically talking to them as a hologram. Uh, he wasn't physically there. So that's one. Two is he is actively trying to recruit you to his idea to help him spread influence. And, right. you know, he has offered several. He's, he's thrown out the idea that he's looking to make vampires. Maybe you'd like to become vampires. Maybe that's the ideal way to stop God Anathwa. Some of you are very influenced or very driven by stopping God Anathwa. And he's reaching out specifically with, well, you know, best way you can do that is to pull him into my world. And to do that, how about infinite power and eternal life to go with it? So he's playing that card. So from that point of view, Strahd does not want to destroy the party. This came up recently in a um, an assassin was sent after the party from a group that is up for destroying them because this group wants to bring God and Aqua to, 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 to birth. To, they want to destroy the world. They're not in this world. They're from another world. And they sent a they sent an a, a assassin, a bone claw after the party. And the party at first thought that must have been from Strahd because Strahd had actually talked to them that night. Oh. And that, was, and that was like, and that was a little bit like, you know, that was a little confusing for me. So I'm like, no, 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 no. Strahd just offered you power and tried to get you to come on his side. He's not going to try to assassinate you tonight. And the party didn't, I kind of mentioned that and the party kind of went the wrong way at first thinking, oh, well, this must be Strahd showing us his powerful. Oh, it just happened. That is, that mean, is not, that is, yeah, that's, that's not my Strahd. That's, that's, that's a dumb plan. The Strahd's not dumb. The other big bad is the Malbion. 
There you go. Who, who had uh, a brother Maynard, the, the anti-paladin, was serving. Brother Maynard did want to kill most of you, but he wanted to turn your paladin to his side at least. And actually, at first he wanted to turn you all to his side. In the paladin, he really he did not want to kill. He wanted to bring the paladin into to, to, to into God and Othla's worship and to corrupt him as well. So that was why he didn't want to kill you outright. The Malbion probably would kill you outright, but for the time being, he just hasn't had the time. You know, he you, you haven't really thwarted any of his plans yet, so he hasn't had the reason to come try to deal with the party outright, which is something else to keep in mind. So when you go through all those things, well, those are all the reasons your big bad might not kill the party yet, and you should think about which one your big bad is subscribing to. Tony. Would you, Tony? Would you agree in this way? Mm -hmm. uh, because I think you would, you would kind of be on the same page, and that's how I'm looking. Um, so let's take, like, for instance, the Curse of Straw campaign out of things, because that's very specific. You're in his land, so that changes the whole dynamic. But a lot of times, is it more like if I take Slaver's Bay, or let's, or even Woodstock, or Storm Kings, right? Up until a certain point, they don't even know who you are. You're so insignificant yeah. that, like, why are they coming to kill you? You're just some joker on the street somewhere, right? Until you become enough. I don't typically roll my big bad out. Like you don't get a good look at that character until you're established heroes. There's like, you start laying the framework. Like it's out there. I let everyone explore, come across some clues. And you're like, hey, perhaps there's a cult. Who, who, did this, who does this cult worship? It's not clear. And then it starts building up to where this character is introduced. And in yeah. that moment, if you've done it right, the party should have a really like great, oh fuck moment. You should have this <laughs> moment, like here's somebody we absolutely do not want to come down through a dark alley and run into because we're done, if that was the case. All the points, I think Thorne's correct on all the points about either they don't want to from motivational standpoint or they can't. I like to always use the influence level of they've got minions some of them are extraordinarily powerful don't be afraid to throw some tough minions there to shake them up right like if i mean not to not to beat a dead horse here because we just spent uh several Broadway. episodes talking about it but with storm kings right sarkaloth we kind of we learned about him oh god we started to get rumblings i want to say fifth level maybe when we got to uh, the One Kingdom and Bryn Shandar, I believe, right? We started to hear some rumblings about him, and then he sent the like glyph of warding and stuff like that at us. The exploding ink, as it were. Yeah, and the in the in the mechanical cracking, the clockwork cracking we Right. Found, and and then that after. was a couple levels past that. And then at that point we started to piece together that this guy was was behind the the whole thing. So he was the big guy. And that's why we didn't worry so much about just ending the life of every other possible uh, general out there, I think, right? Well, Sarkaloth, and I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly from the horrible version that yeah, they put together. I believe it's Scaroleth in the in the actual book. Well, that's pretty uh, cool. Like, why, is, why do you hate that so much, Tone? It sounds like, like, my, my, like my girlfriend's cat tossing a hairball like Scaroleth. <laughs> like, so... Um, but Tony needs it needs to have an AR sound. For Tony's villain needs an A in the name. You know, Scaroleth, no A, no power. Yeah, uh, doesn't flow. But in all seriousness, the Kraken was floating in the middle of the ocean. So he wasn't gonna pop up, and if he could have, he could have came up on land, but that would have been a whole monster movie thing. Right, right. Like, so that's not as likely. He's also that type of villain's like, you know what? 
I will have my chance uh, to come across you. I actually had a whole extended scene where that battle where you did confront uh, Sarkaloth was not the was not supposed to go down like that whatsoever. I wanted that to happen where you got the Storm King and there was closure. What I originally had planned was this is also incredibly off script to tie it into. Um, actually, Scott Warlock. So I got that name wrong. The the Kraken's actual name is. <coughs> Slarkrethel. S L A R K R E T H L. I could go with Scarlet. Scarlet, I could go with Slarkrethel. No. And that is ending every player in a spelling bee right there. Yeah. Seriously. Dungeons and Dragons spelling bee, you're finished. The point is actually in that, I was going to have that real, you were supposed to have that real terrifying moment where if you had been lower powered, he would have attacked the ship, scared you, we would have escaped, and that's where it would have ended. Because I planned, <coughs> I planned on the game going on longer. I, that encounter was completely rewritten where I had other entities that were going to show up with him. You would have been surrounded. It would have been a real serious, like, what the fuck moment where you're like, okay, well, this is game over. And that button I gave you on the ship would have let you warp far away, and that's when he would have landed in deep space starting your whole spell jamming spell. career to get back to Earth. Jesus Christ. Dude, there's no reason you can't still do that. We, you, you could certainly still take us to space. No one here has played a spell jammer campaign. Well, I said I was going to take you guys to 20th and maybe even beyond. That was the framework, so that's how we're going to do it. You want to be, I already mapped the planets in my universe. You would have started making, limping your way back to Earth, having encounters on these different planets. Oh my God, we were, we, gonna, we were going to work into Voyager. That's what we were going to be. We were going to be in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Well, and we already, and I guess that's how Elios had the, uh, the, the the antimatter rifle, which we didn't even mention in the recap. But yeah, by the end of that adventure, Zhang had an antimatter rifle he was using. And that, that's a book well, item. I mean, it is. It, I mean, it's it's from like you know the it's it's from like the deep forbidden back. Is that really the MV? Yes, it is. That's the in the that's in the mod itself, Tom. That antimatter rifle. No, yeah. that's it. That's that's actually a book. Like that's a it's a player's, isn't it? You it's can in the DMJ. No, oh, I haven't, I haven't actually seen that. That's funny. That's so, funny. so here's the thing about the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide, is it actually has tools in it to let you morph D&D into almost anything you want to play. Now, it's not going to make the players any less of a superhero, but they have the honor point system, they have the horror, po the, uh, the the sanity point system, and they have uh, they have all the rules. They have, like, firearms throughout it. Like, you want to give someone a Tommy gun, it's in there. You want to give someone an, an antimatter rifle from a science fiction campaign, that's in there. So there's some cool stuff in there if you want to expand D&D. &D. It's just little slices of it. You know, it's it's you yeah. can, I really respect what they did with the DMG from that point of view. But that's yeah. that is neither here nor there unless you want to give your villain an antimatter rifle. Maybe he's from the future stuck in your world and he's going to you know, you're going to uh, go dude, he's it's Kang the Conqueror. He's getting his time traveling through. Yeah. So, so that villain Tony, you kept you kept kind of teasing us with him, which I've always liked as a tactic. But like, yeah, he had the reason he couldn't get near us was because he was in the middle of the ocean, like you said, right? Amazingly enough, you, you need that. It's almost got to be one of your primary concerns. You, you, when you come up with your villain, why isn't this villain just going to kill the party before they're level well, two? Well, one of his inside jokes was I planted him underneath the ship where the Storm King was kept, and he stayed there the whole game. He conducted. All of his affairs from one spot. <laughs> well, I mean that makes complete sense for a, for a, a, an entity like that, right? But yeah, I think that that idea of uh, I mean it's it's a it's a well used idea for a good reason, but that teasing out of the villain over time. 
But it is, like I was just saying earlier, It's we talked about it once about the, being like Star Trek The Next Generation with Q. Q is easily one of the best characters, villains, sometimes even hero in the entire Star Trek universe. And even love some interest, other Occasionally love interest. Right. I mean, he's also... But he's not in every episode or even every third. Like he can't be because at some point you're going to you're going to overuse that that tactic. Right. Because if they keep running into them, it's one thing if the party is insignificant. All right. And they're not even on the map yet. It's one thing if the big bad like Sarkaloth is in the middle of the ocean and is conducting business like a mafia don. Right. Um, Where everyone is making other calls on pay phones like Tootie. So that, you know, nothing can be traced back to Paulie. But then there's another thing. If that villain keeps coming to the party, now there is that cat and mouse idea, like I just said with Strahd, or that, like I did in my Pathfinder campaign, my big bad Felsicar, who was like the evil cleric that was trying to put together these artifacts, blah, blah, every trope you can think of, dragons and all this stuff. I had him come to the party when they were like third level. There was this big orc invasion in the town. They were, you know, they had to wake up in the middle of it. They learned that armor takes time to put on, that kind of stuff. You know, fun things. Um, it's not like a bathroom. What? And that was in essence, Belsicar was creating a diversion to steal this one tome that they had found that was one of the artifacts that he wanted. Right. So in essence, he created this big diversion. And then they saw him with the tome. They tried to step to him, and he said, "Yeah, no," and just dropped them hard. Right. Um, so that was a way to show, like, he didn't really, he didn't think they were a problem, and he took what he needed and left. But I can't keep bringing him back until there's a point where this is the big showdown, because at that point, why isn't he killing these people? You know, like Strahd, I don't keep bringing him in. The only other times you guys have now run into him was kind of by accident, right? Like at Yester Hill, he was there for the ritual, and you happened to kind of come upon that whole thing happening, right? Not this, here I am again, and let's just end this. And as our propaganda campaign shows, he ran away. He has lost control of the situation. He had a fit of rage in the next town and blew up their pond. And we have, we have detailed leaflet, woodcut leaflet showing all of these. Missed. Yes, the uh, the printer at the Wizard of Wise has been pr- printing the propaganda. Ding dong. That's right. Yeah. We have been print, print, printing the leaflets of revolution. Um, <laughs> you know, I think one of the things we're talking about here, too, is, you know, what kind of villain do you want? There's different kinds. There is, and I think so far, like when we talk about Strahd, Strahd in my campaign, in the Woodstock Wanderers campaign, they're actually all pretty similar, right? I mean, well, there's God Anafwa, who's the giant force of nature trapped inside the planet where he's going to crack the planet. And if, if he ever wakes up, game over. But then everyone else is a major power broker with big spells and big armies who can fight the, who can fight the heroes. But, you know, the power broker or the high level archmage is only one kind of villain. You can have another kind of villain that runs, maybe you can have like a giant dragon where whenever that villain shows up for most of the game, the party's just got to run away like Tiamat uh, or, you know, like, like Tiamat and Venger in the original D and D cartoon. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a different thing, right? Okay. No, it's, it's, level it's, one it's characters. <laughs> well, there's this, they were never seen again. That was tragic. <laughs> right. Right. There's this interesting book I'm reading called born. It's a sci-fi book. And I don't know if it's well enough known, uh, that people are going to recognize the reference, but it's kind of a post-apocalyptic city setting, and the main characters are trying to survive in this post-apocalyptic city, where eventually everyone's 
dying, you know. All the humans want to kill you. Everything else wants to kill you. Everything will kill you. Survive as long as you can. But the biggest thing is this giant levitating bear called Mord. And Mord is basically a force of nature that when he decides he wants to get into somewhere, he's he, he just, like when I say giant, I mean like kaiju size, and he flies. So it's a flying Godzilla-sized bear who can pretty much just go devastate whatever part of the city he wants to. In that story, Mord, like that is a different kind of villain. That is the kind of villain where you're just trying to survive it when it shows up, and then maybe much later in the game you're able to finally kill it and free the world from this menace. But that's a different kind of thing. The Godzilla movie villain is different from the, you know, the villains I'm using in Woodstock Wanderers. And there's other ways to play your villains, too. Sometimes the villain can be someone who isn't physically imposing, but just politically always has the right cards. You know, that's one of the most frustrating villains where the party could absolutely kill this person, except for they're never in position to kill this person. He's never there. All the chips are laid perfectly where the party's going to get arrested or the party's getting held down or the party's getting held back. And they can never get a straight shot on the villain because he's always politically ahead of them. And he could be a physical wimp, but still be devil the party. And that's another good kind of villain. Like, there's different ways to do it. There are, and I think the type of villain you want to roll out is really dependent upon, of course, your audience and the style and flavor of your campaign. So if you're playing a very gritty, like if we're playing Call of Cthulhu, let's just say, for God forbid, there wasn't a great old one as the villain. I'm going to say something crazy <laughs> what? here. What? Yeah, what? I know, right? Everyone rattling like now with Wizards are often the villain. Let me tell you something. I could run a mob boss in that system who, who was just evil, and he could be fucking terrifying, okay, in all seriousness. Because, I'm sorry, six guys that burst into a room with guns, you've got a problem on your hands. Someone's going to get very seriously hurt. Unless they're, they, they trade at the same school as the stormtroopers did, people are getting shot up. No, you, you're and, getting shot. Six guys with Tommy guns means you're getting shot in Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. But that's that that would open up that venue where you could roll out a villain like that. Now, if you're playing something higher end, more fantastic, or if you're playing D&D, then usually it's best to have a villain that ties all the plots together. If they're really going to be, they could still be the king or the queen who has a vast army, but all the roads have to lead to them if they're truly going to be the big bad. Do, like, do you feel like there eventually has to be a physical fight with the villain? I mean, in my style, absolutely. I, I live for that stuff. I need that cinematic <laughs> battle. Yeah, if you're playing, if you're playing something like a D and D or a Marvel or something, you know, like like you're playing. You know, a tabletop version of like a street fight. You you need you want to hit things. Yeah, that's kind of how the characters are built. You know, something like uh, a Call of Cthulhu or some other investigative games or things like that. That might be a little different, right? Because then there might be a little more role play, a little more world building, that kind of thing. But yeah, you need to have some kind of fight. But what I will what I what I want to throw out there, it's like I got kind of like a three way. This is kind of like the triangle of of evil here. All right, so. Shall you we have, say, dare we say, an axis of evil? But it's not quite the axis because it, it is triangle. I have three points, so there's it's like, not there's quite the triforce either. But something go ahead. is sitting on this on the center of the seesaw here. So one side, Thorne, to your point with that sci-fi book you're reading right now, is born. So you have the thing like where it's a big, where it's a monster, right? It's a monster movie. It's a Tarasque. It's Godzilla. It's King Kong, right? It's some massive force that's just coming in to it's the the video game rampage right or the weird rock movie rampage but we won't talk about that um so you Actually, have that not, you have, not his worst movie not his worst yeah, movie <laughs> you have a monster but then you have a villain 
And I don't think monsters are villains in the same way. So then what I'm saying is you have your villain who is the Machiavellian manipulative power broker, uh, has their hands in all kinds of things. It's not just a, oh, we just we can just kill them and it's all good kind of thing. There's a lot more of a, there's pieces to that. All the way to my third one, which is the amorphous villain, which is something like Hydra or the hand, or in our modern world, you know, like drug dealers, right? You have this, you can take out, you know, the senator that's part of Hydra, let's say in like Winter Soldier, right? But uh, Hydra's still there, right? You can kill some ninjas and the hand is still coming for you, right? So I think there's three different things and they all play very differently as to What's going to happen in your in your game? And I think that goes down to do you have people who like to kick in doors? Or do you have people that want political intrigue? Because if you're fighting Hydra, then that's going to suck if you want to like just kick ass and take things because you're going to have to kick a lot of asses. And as we've seen in the Marvel Universe movies, you wind up kicking a lot of ass that doesn't actually get you anywhere. Right? And it doesn't matter. right? Yeah, all the fights they had with Hydra, none of it mattered. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Hydra still wins in the end until you really dig them out. I don't even remember how they got rid of the Hydra in the end. They Uh, they didn't fully. Well, but they they destroyed Shield. Right. Shield's gone. Or do they? They've restarted Shield now. Yeah, but then you have the like you have the uh, they do. uh, So if you go into like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there's other branches of of Shield and Sword and stuff like that. That is that they're always there's always something. That's the point, right? It's always there, you know. So that's kind of my my different points monster villain and then this weird amorphous enemy kind of thing. So are you saying you try to use those all or just that those are different types? Oh, no, they're just different things. And I think they're all valuable. I don't think there's anything wrong with a game where you just have some big-ass kaiju that rolls up on the city and you got to take it out. Like a Tarrasque that drops in the city. Like, that's a cool adventure, dude, fighting a Tarrasque. I wouldn't call it a villain, though, right? I mean, yeah, but from a certain point of view, yes. I could see having a campaign where your players are first level, the Tarrasque comes to their town, they escape with their lives, and the rest of the campaign is figuring out how to get rid of the Tarrasque okay. while simultaneously not getting eaten by the Tarrasque, who shows up randomly in different places all the time. And you got to you know, Oh, yeah, that just randomly appears. The world. Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> I guess a the Tarrasque just fun. drops out of the I sky. I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. You, so you, if you... I roll a 30 on my athletics check, can I suplex the Tarrasque? No chance, dude. How big is that thing? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I no, mean, dude, I that's like so. that's Godzilla size in the Kong versus Godzilla movie. I, I mean, our, our better that. question is: Can the monk stunning strike the Tarrasque? Absolutely. Yeah, dude. Something that. <laughs> oh, he'd be done. Uh, those monk punches. He'd be like, oh god. There's no defense. Uh, I had three legendary resistances. <laughs> but you know, technically, te- technically, in one, of, it's one of the loopholes in D and D. The Tarrasque does not technically have any magic weapons, and the clay golem technically does damage that cannot be that cannot be uh, regenerated. Yeah. So a clay golem will theoretically destroy a Tarrasque eventually. Couldn't just eat him? Because I would just eat him, but like gulp. <laughs> I guess he could, but he couldn't actually damage him. As long as the clay golem keeps attacking him from the inside, the Tarrasque can't regain any hit points. Um, that, that's Play some stretch the, the more you know in the background here. <laughs> 
that, that's really should be like a, Elminster, the Tarrasque has appeared. Uh, here's some clay golems. Go, yeah, clay golems. Go, the go army go of golems. clay golems. Ah, my continuity is falling apart. Clay golems. <laughs> Six clay golems go running out there and they fight the Tarrasque until it's dead. And then they come back and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that guy <laughs> I say, just, uh, just as a, an aside for any of our, our newest uh, listeners, though, I would I would love for all of you to go back to one of our earlier articles and understand why Tony hates monks so much. That is, I, I believe, a podcast. Hate, I just saying that I, I think I wrote an article Center. regarding it. And we uh, we wrote an article about it, and I think we talked about it in one of our I think our first episode, yeah. <laughs> the, the about how was, a monk shouldn't be able to stun Unicron, and you both argued that seems kind of fair. People who are saved, <laughs> I think that was the context of that. And Dave's like, no man, his powers like morph into like he's punching a fire elemental to go water punch, and I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, it did come up last week because last week Tony mentioned how monks don't appear, don't exist in his world. In his world. Because Yang was going to be a monk. And that's where, the, so if you were wondering what the context was of him saying that, Yang, I wanted to play a monk. Tony forbid me from playing a monk, but said, okay, there will be no monks in this world. And that's why, yeah. that's why, Sark, that's why what um, Mr. Tung Tai name, that's why Sarkrathel, who we call uh, Sarkaloth. Sarkaloth, yeah. Sarkaloth did not have his monk cards. And because that's why the, uh, yeah, he was not, um, King Akaton was not surrounded by uh, a bunch of monks yeah. with their stunning fists because okay. they do not exist. Because the nothing's more exciting than like, having your character be stunned for like six rounds in a combat. Um, he is not, the Tarrasque, I'm looking at him right now, is not immune to stun. So a monk could absolutely stun this guy if he blows his safe. There you go. Yeah, dude, good luck blowing a seat with a Tarrasque numbers, though. I'm you know just what? Saying. You're Those right. Are some you're right. Sure. Zhang never used his fear on any guy as <laughs> the Battlemaster. Like, so here we go. Four <laughs> monsters, a, a freaking fight blew their saves. It's just the way it lands, man. All right, let's, yeah. pull, this, let's pull this back to the topic. Yeah. So. What All are you I'm afraid? We will know. We will know when when Tony is very serious in a game when he pulls out a fucking legion of monks against us. That's when he know he's done with our shit. That's all. That's it. Time to start playing. It's everybody's kung fu fighting. <laughs> are, are, are rocks falling? No, worse, monks. Monks are falling. <laughs> so I mean, but I mean, you know, this does get back to okay. So we talk about what you want in the villain. What do you not want to have happen to your villain? Getting stunned by um, a monk. Having stunned like, on Tony's like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Seriously, I'm, can you just imagine, this is one of my complaints, and he, uh, we're going to roll, I, I have to just kind of yeah, back this up a little bit. What we're here for. When, when, we're, when I was doing, when I was looking at Sarkaloth as a villain, and they're like, no, no, he, there's no confrontation at the end, he just scares your guys and you escape, and I'm like, no, there has to be a degree of a confrontation there. Mm -hmm. And Thorne's like, I want to play a monk. I'm like, he's going to stun this effing titan. It's going to happen. And that is not, I can't tease a villain for 16 eight-hour sessions and be like, well, he's like Ryu from Street Fighter. He's stunned. I don't think he'd mind if a extending fists. Yeah. Now, to be really fair, I really allowed the party an easy out using the character, the, the warlock, to neutralize his one spell, that ninth level one, the precog one. Which would have gave him basically advantage in all of his attacks and all of his defenses, and that would have been a catastrophe. Like he would have lasted five seconds but in Tom, that battle. You're uh, you're absolutely right in that these epic villains, Sarkaloth, Strahd, the Malbion, right? These people that you've been teasing out for 
sessions, a, a year, a year and a half, two years, something, right? Mm-hmm. And what, you you dread the time when they finally confront them and then just, it's like a one punch man, just boom, and just drop them with some crazy spell or some crazy right. roll that happens. Well, and you're just like, oh, Christ. No, uh, okay. So that's exactly what I think you don't want to have happen with your villain is is that really anticlimactic, uh, that anticlimactic event where they just drop. Um, yeah, no, honestly, you owe your players more than that. Yeah. I've been in situations when first and second edition in D&D where I brought this powerful demon and it's like this is a creature to be feared. And the fighter says, I uh, hit X armor class. Is this hit on my roll? And I'd say yes. And he goes, that was a four-pole hit. And that demon would be decapitated. The fight's <laughs> over. That's when you find out all of your demons can regrow their heads. So, I mean, after years of this kind, these kind of scenarios and different forms happening, you know, like how uh, Cassidy stunned Vecna and the Bronze Lich, and they couldn't break his stun hold. They couldn't make their saving throws. And if they did, I would just hit him with another one, and they'd just be like, oh, my God, I'm the god of secrets. Why can't I break this stun? Because I'm, I'm a loser. That's why. I was, <laughs> I'm badly designed. My only weakness. Fourth uh, wanted to make sure the players got theirs. I will say that about fourth. But in all seriousness, I mean, if you do this buildup, you want to have your players acquire this power, come into their own, build their legend, become they want to. They're going to be really great heroes, and they need to have that test to be truly great heroes to defeat their nemesis that has been effing with them their most or if not all of their careers. And then just to snuff this guy out like a candle, it's lame. Yeah. You leave only, people walking away from that game going, wow, that was great, but that that was kind of weak. And that's not what you want. So Maybe the one player the, thinks they're the shit. They're like, rah, me, I'm the best. They're popping the champagne bottle and spraying it everywhere like that meme. But so I, I, will, I will repeat, though, that the, the, this battle where Tony stunned the Bronze Lich and, and, and Vecna, no one else seemed to think that was anticlimactic. Just, just that was kind of unique to, to to Tony felt that way. The other players seem to mm. be perfectly fine well, fine with it. Yeah, you didn't meet these people though. I mean, for guys, <laughs> these guys would have taken any win. They're like, we went back in time and killed Vecna sleeping in his crib. Yes, we are the best. Like we're so awesome. <laughs> Baby Vecna, there's the expansion watch he needs to do. Well, here's the here's the flip side of that coin too, right? So. The characters are constantly becoming more powerful until the final confrontation, if this is how it happens in your game, with the final confrontation with the big bad villain, right? If it's a villain, not a monster, right? Because if you kill a monster, cool, all right, we're the best, right? But a villain is more calculated, they're more, you know, they're, they're more sly. So is there the flip side to this where you have prepared well? For instance, let's Let's take my guy. Let's take Strahd Zarovich, right? So this is no secret, but for the entire uh, length of the campaign, he has been casting scrying on the party incessantly, right? In essence, seeing what he they're has? doing. Gathering intel, right? So that gives a sense of a narrative reason as to why he would be able to understand what he's up against, right? So I can prepare as the DM, my villain, for, okay, they're, they're, this is probably going to be the final confrontation. What do I want to do? Here's my battle plan, let's say. And let's say I really do it well. Is the flip side of that that you just piss your players off because now 
this big bad is still the big fucking bad. And like, he's still just escaping your, your, uh, you know, your, your, your every move, you know, do you run into the thing Thorin like we did with, again, we spoke about it. There was a lot of other stuff at play, but the brother Maynard thing, right. Where your players just go, well, fuck man. I mean, you can't do anything kind of feel, you know, like, where is that for you guys? Where is that fulcrum? Where does that reside? You know, that's really tough to say. And I think, you know, we probably should talk about what steps can you take to make sure that the one-hit knockout doesn't happen to your villain, too. Because, you know, what do you do to layer it in there? And then we and then we get to this, how do you make it not OP? Because that's a party where, you know, they've really... So the, the first really thing that, that they felt was overpowered was when I fought them with the monk uh, Arakakra, uh, the, the monk Birdman. Art Kang, yeah. Yeah, Art Kang. The, the, and and, and they, they really felt like, okay, that was a little, that was overpowered. They fought him over a session. And then we went, we had the brother Maynard fight. He showed up, Maynard showed up. Maynard pulled some, you know, pulled him some other power. And then recently, in, in just one of the last, the last fight we had, which was this last session, one of the players had also said, you know, how the, the villain felt overpowered. And it had asked, you know, well, when you put in these overpowered villains, do you ever wonder that we can't beat them or, you know, something to that effect? Uh, now, oh, the player oh, saying oh. that literally has never played D&D before. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems to have a lot to do with the players. Some players step up to a challenge and some players don't. You know, yeah. some, player, some players look at a challenge as, you know, they just get immediately defeated and they don't want to take it on. So I guess it depends on your group. How much can you challenge them in that final fight? And I, I do think there is a limit, too, though, to you can't just say all their stuff doesn't work. You know, the oh, villain can take some preparation yeah. stuff, but you don't want to go, okay, all your favorite things don't work, and you now have to go fight this guy with, with, with this non-magical butter knife. You know, that that if you're going to take some approach like that, you need to give them a way to get their stuff back or make their stuff work again before they have the fight. But yeah, I think it's very, it's, it's very party-dependent, and you kind of got to get the feel for that coming in as far as how are they going to respond to a difficult fight, or are they just going to want basically the bad guy to, 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 to sit there and take punches for three rounds and then die? Right, well, exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's very dependent on the party. And let me say for the record, I did kill a monster, actually several, with a butter knife in my career. That absolutely <laughs> happened in the Dungeons of Greyhawk. There was a Mithril butter knife, and that thing was deadly to creatures that were made of cookie dough or candy. Book item, ladies and gentlemen. However... I don't feel the monsters were book items, though. I'm just saying. No, no, that's, they're, they're in the book. They're in the book. Oh, there, was, there, was a whole, there was, there was, there was a, a whole run of cut and candy golems. Bad news. Let me tell you. Oh, God. There, 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 there were gingerbread guy. golems and cotton candy golems and an old issue, issue of Dragon Magazine. They yeah. Taking, uh, they it was Elminster. Who, who did that stuff? The uh, who, who was the mad mage who did that? Oh, no, no. The Dungeons of Greyhawk, I've talked about this before, was 12 floors and a castle on top. The yeah. castle on top is where you train, and each one was written by a different DM, and you'd go down. It was an epic grand campaign to get to the bottom where there was the random monster generator that was creating all these insane monsters. Everyone was fighting <laughs> all the way to the top. It was incredibly awesome. If you've never cracked that PDF or the original book, do yourself a favor and check it out. But what's important about a boss is that when you get to the battle, like we, we discussed whether they you want to have them come out and pound the party first and show them – the depth of this character's party or show how powerful their minions are. There's different ways you could approach that. But in that battle, there must be tension. And mm. the game that uh, uh, Thorne was referencing, uh, the players I was with didn't handle defeat well whatsoever. And as another player, I kind of didn't like that. I'm like, you know, sometimes everything's not going to go our way. And that's really part yeah. of the game, especially when we're actually in a time where we're playing basically weekly. 
I talked about this now. If I'm playing a game every five weeks, then I've rolled the difficulty back, to be really fair. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Dave, you got your ass kicked. You can get your revenge in August. You know, that's, that's a little <laughs> rough to reconcile. But I feel that battle, when you get to that moment, if you want this to be remembered, you need to have a pitched battle. And at some points where the players are kind of going, oh, shit, like this really feels like it's tipping a little bit. And let them use their full depth of their powers and their creativity to turn it around. Yeah, I remember you had said that even with some of the encounters we've had through Barovia 2, where you were hoping to see if I hadn't rolled back some of the stuff. You know, and I, I, I think I still would probably roll a lot of the stuff as I did, but... Um, you had made that point too, where when you create that, if it's done right, when you create that event where the players have to literally be going down to the dregs of their sheets and coming up with just the craziest idea, just because it's all they got left, right? Like we were in the Lord Hommeldale's estate, Thorin, in Woodstock a couple sessions ago, the Vampire's estate, and we got down into the catacombs. And we're fighting red caps, and we're fighting shadows, and we're fighting all this shit, right? Boom, 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 boom. And we're doing awesome, and we're also tapped. Like at one point, Tony is Erasmus says, uh, just to let everyone know, I have no spells left. So he's just firing fireball. This for the is the cut, right? And that's in, she still had a wish. Yeah, and that's not um, to draw that Trump still. Got to, got to, got to keep pushing the party to draw that Trump. <laughs> I, I, I want to contact them. I want to get this great, right. That felt great because it was that level of tension of can we do this, you know? So it's that that psychology of being uh, behind or in front of the screen that changes as well. I think. Yes and no. It is being behind in front of and behind the screen. One of the things about that fight is, if I remember correctly, that vampire, when you did finally corner him and get to him, you guys were yeah. tapped. And yeah. I had done a lot of things to get you tapped up to that point. I know the party really kind of felt like, yeah, that was right to the edge. When you finally got to the vampire, he died in like three turns. So like that that's what that party, what that, what that group kind of likes is, okay, we have a lot of fairly easy fights, draw us out. And then when we get to the bad guy, he dies pretty, pretty easily. Now that party's also had some fights where I really did take you to like the edge of, of, of losing and you guys won in the end where the feedback from that party has been, we won, but it doesn't feel like we won. And that's mm. the balance. And that's where you got to know your party because those are fights where I'm, where like, to me, I'm like, that's right off the edge. That's, that's, that's your power level. That is, I'm dialing this in exactly right to get you guys to, to really leave it all out there to get, to, to get past this, this, like a small, like it was, it was like a smaller bill and it wasn't the big bad, but it was a small bad. Yeah. 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 And, and the feedback was that it wasn't, you know, people didn't feel like they won, even though no one had died. You know, even though no one had died and they had killed the person, they, they, they had defeated the, the other guy, we didn't feel like we won. Okay. You got a bunch of stuff. I gave you XP and items. We didn't feel like we won. <laughs> All right. Right. But like, if I'm in a situation, and I've been on this on the player side, where we were basically in the equivalency of a, a freaking random encounter, and this mm. random encounter pushed us to the wall. Like, my <sighs> character got dropped. Like, Erasmus got knocked down. He was a human at the time. Went to zero hit points, rolled a 20 on his con check, got back up and started fighting again. Um, that that battle was a disaster. And at the end of that, yeah, I don't feel like I was really, like, you know, dumping Gatorade over anybody's head for the win. On the random encounter, and then it's still 9 a.m. and you're tapped. <laughs> well, like, all right, so when can we sleep again? Um, but if it's in a boss fight... 
I kind of have to say that is really the formula that you're looking for. What's the over under for you guys? What's the over under? How many rounds? What do you think? What do you, what do you are you shooting for anything in particular, or what do you think? How long do you think a a big band is generally lasting? I want to say about five rounds. I'd go longer than that. I mean, I don't I don't have a round number in mind, but what I do have in mind is the big bad should launch all his abilities and the player should use all their cool stuff. All That's right. So it's not a round that. number, but all like right. your, your wizards should go through. They should they should get through their big spells. The big bad probably has like, you know, four or five things on its sheet between lair actions and different actions. You want to use them all. You want them to we want some of them to do some to, to work to a certain extent. That probably takes, I mean, five's okay. Five to ten rounds is probably it. Because yeah, you want you want you want to push everyone deep. Everyone should get to use all their cool stuff and be pretty much spent by the end. I am not a fan of a super long combat unless it's really flowing. Like you got to check your party vibe. Everyone's like, yeah, this is fantastic. Then okay, this is great. But what I want to see is are the core the high hit point characters wounded? Are they threatened? Mm. There's mm. that wizard in the back. Is that wizard able to sit back in the pocket and just lob fireballs <laughs> like he's John Elway throwing the deep ball? No, or is he scrambling for his life? These are my questions. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually tying into that. That's another thing. You, you do want to – the big bad should have some way of breaking the party's formation. You know, the big bad should have some way to get them out of their plan A – yeah, for instance, by making sure that those back end guys take damage or get or get disrupted somehow, you know, there should be something in the fight that you know, that basically makes the party go to a plan B or plan C. The party shouldn't be firmly in control the whole fight for your big bad fight. Mm. In fact, the big bad should be for most of it. The party should have to reclaim the control of the battle from the big bad the way is you probably the way you want to feel. I got to tell you, if I if, you, if there was a party that's that really like, well, we weren't defeated, but it was a tough fight, and I don't really feel like I win, and I didn't like that. Uh, then what's going to happen when you actually get your ass kicked? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, so it depends. There's different situations, too. But, like, the parties reacted well. They did take a defeat once, and they reacted pretty well to the Red Cap fight. You know, people came out of that. But that was there was there was kind of an immediate redemption in the next in the next That's session true. for yeah. that one. So that's, that's another key to it. You know what I'm actually interested in is what can you do to prepare your big bad? How far do you go? Like, what steps can you... Because we've talked about, okay, you want to make sure they don't get just, you know, just zotted in the beginning. But what steps do you take and what do you think is okay to take for them to prepare specifically for the party? Like, like Dave, with with, with Strahd and his scrying, like, okay, he has the intelligence. What kinds of things are okay for him to do with it? Can the party just walk in and Strahd's like, Ha! I'm immune to all your favorite spells. Get bent. <laughs> like, 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 what, what kind... Yeah. Of, do they need to do the things pa- the party member could do? Like, does it need to be published spells or things like that? Or can it be ridiculous, you know, plot armor? I mean, what, what, what's okay and not okay to you? Yeah, for me, I, I, I um, as I say, uh, I, with, with Curse of Strahd, I've been very, uh, very close to the book. I want to see how the adventure runs. Generally speaking, I've changed a couple things, but generally speaking, I want to see how it runs. Um, so with Strahd, I am not taking anything or allowing him anything past what he already has or could have. But I have seen people saying, like, look, you're you're talking about a high-level spellcaster who's a vampire who's had 400 years not just studying his own stuff, but also having access to maybe the Amber Temple and the Library of Wizard Spells there 
wizard spell books of adventures that come. Right. So the the idea is is that he could have more than what they're saying. For me, what I do usually with a with person like that is I'm going to plan. I'm going to look at that the the block as it is, and I'm going to plan out spells according to what he's doing. So when you guys like. If you have the big final confrontation, I'll tell you what, he hasn't prepared scrying that day. He hasn't prepared fucking mage hand, right? Or what, you know, doesn't prepare that. But you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be very good. We don't have to worry about the secret pickpocket. But there's this thing, right? So, like, uh, I took this idea from you, Thorne, with um, when I'm running, just for, like, kind of ease of play, where I'll literally crack open the monster manual now, and I got the stat block in front of me, and I'm just kind of rolling off of that boom, 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 for your normal monsters, right? When you're getting to spellcasters, though, that's a whole nother level. And you need to do some homework. So in the last session we had where you guys fought the mummy, that's totally in the book. Totally, totally. Mummy Lord is absolutely in the book. Absolutely. Um, absolutely, yeah. yeah. In um, the Amber Temple. They're, 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 don't, don't miss the ancient mummy in the Amber yeah. Temple. It's one of the highlights of Ravenwald. Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's a thing. Um, but I absolutely had decided what spells were there and I had a sheet out so I had that so it was much more much more ease for me to go this is what he's got this is what it's going to do so it could flow a little better so I'm not sitting there looking through 32 fucking spells right I mean that's crazy I will say if you haven't played a ton of spellcasters that is the hardest thing about playing a spellcasting NPC and I found it also when I'm when I have spellcasters who I roll up as who, who come out as NPCs. Yeah. I either find myself because now you have to look through two books. If you're not familiar with their spells, you got to go look through the the books with the spells. Or we're doing a lot online, so I have tried to have some of them up in the background. But sometimes you're like, ah, I, I don't know this situation. I didn't consider that spell. Maybe he should cast that. What does that do? And it can really bog those encounters down. Yeah. I think when you're preparing for your villain for that confrontation with the players, you have to look at what in the continuity of your game this villain would have access to. And it's also assumed that the villain has a reasonable good idea of your party's abilities, like their signature attacks, what they're about. And the villain really would use that to their fullest advantage. That kind of goes without saying. And if not, then it doesn't make as much sense. It doesn't jive. It doesn't seem to really hold like, well, you know, goodness. You ever kill a really heavy boss and they had nothing on them? Yeah, see, that's <laughs> I, I do have the rule that the villain had a magic item. The party will get that. It's there. It doesn't go away when the villain dies. Obviously, the caveat being if it's a one shot use magic item. OK, but I do believe that if the villain has a magic stick, the party gets the magic stick at the end. In fact, that's actually one of the ways I put treasure in the game. I'll give it to a villain. Mm. Like, you know, most villains are effectively pinatas if the party can take them down. It's full of good stuff for all you guys. Yeah. Yeah. In that one vampire game I played with uh, that was White Wolf based, the one vampire antagonist we didn't even really know who this this person was he immediately had a power to go invisible because of his vampire breed and he intentionally was very reclusive and very secretive and really worked for the shadows so for a number of games the question was who is this person wasn't like there was no fear of them. It was this great unknown. Like we kept chasing shadows 
trying to figure out who our opponent really was. I do like the idea of having the villain prep with some spells. Like when Arik Kang first showed up, he showed up sitting on top of a pillar looking at the party while the party was behind like a, a shield. That party was The party was trapped in a bubble they were taking down. And Arik Kang sitting there watching them the whole time with some um, fallen warlocks. Uh, I forget their, 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 their actual name. But like the undead warlock characters in the dmg or in the uh, monster manual and he was sitting there and the party's just waiting for it to come down as soon as the as soon as the shell comes down the party does what the party had been doing fires a salvo of fireballs at the guy at art kang sitting on top of the pillar and art kang was sitting in a, in a globe of invulnerability because that was as a power on an item he has yeah. now to me that level of prep is okay you know to have some invulnerability power up there to set up some things where the party maybe cast some spells soaking it up i think that's okay it you is know? as long as it's as long as it like you did and like i've done with strong mm -hmm. as long as it's kind of set up that way yeah. and the players are getting that information as you guys have noticed when you fought with the count you hit them and I'm always describing this kind of red flash that happens, you know, and it's not plot armor. It's just something else is, is going on. But you guys are kind of aware of that at this point because it's been described. Same thing with the globe of invulnerability. And that's why I cast a spell magic and pff, there it was. And then we could kind yeah. of try to get after him kind of thing. I mean, can you do something like contingency counterspell? I don't even know if that's in the player's handbook. Like, could you set up something where he's got oh, a contingency oh, type spell that counterspells the first hostile spell cast on him? Would that be okay? Oh, it's possible. I mean, counterspell will will counter almost any spell as long as the yeah. uh, the roll is right, right? So, yeah. I will say, too, so that's just what I would do with a lot of villains, but I've done it where villains will level with the party as well. The mm. one like you, you've talked about as well, where I'll literally build that big, big bad. I did that with with Delsicar, the evil cleric from Pathfinder campaign, uh, he he leveled up with the party and he kind of altered it as it went as to what was happening. Uh, so then the things that he was choosing or going, the path he was taking, whatever, made a little more sense in the overall narrative of the story too. So it's a little more tailored to what's happening in this world, not just I open to page 42. <laughs> I, I like that trick better with a lieutenant than the big bad. I like to okay. put the big bad up at a high level. So if the parties encounters them, they grow into them a bit. And I like to kind of have their main bodyguard, like a brother Maynard type character. Yeah. Or before him, there was the goblin leader you guys dealt with. That character will kind of go up with the party because they might be actually our Kang scanning levels with the party. So he's always yeah. going to be at that level relative to the party. Awesome. But the big bad, I like to roll the big bad out at like, I mean, that's like a, a CR 23 or, or a level 18 yeah, that is that's a big bad. Yeah. That's like end of game play. Well, that's what it should be, shouldn't it? I mean, Absolutely. if you're like a great archmage, I mean, I don't know. I haven't. What is the Malbion right now, CR wise? I mean, I'm thinking he's probably like a like a level 18 or 20 spellcaster. I haven't really done the gone gone further than that yet. Yeah, you know, he's, he's got definitely got access to the voice. big spells. Yeah, he's got uh, some big ones. <laughs> I'm saying he's a wizard. Maybe he's a cleric, but he's got the he's got the. Yeah. Uh, there's still yeah, some the pretty big powerful the, shit coming out. He, yeah, he, he's, he's awakening a great old one inside the planet. He's got the big guns. <laughs> he's got tricks. He will have tricks when the party meets him. Like, that's the kind of thing where you know, the, the party gets within a, a mile, and maybe he drops a meteor swarm on them just to tell them, just to let them know what they're, what they're dealing with. One of the tactics I've changed up late in the game, so to speak, in my career is you want to increase, you, if you want to keep your villain static with the continuity and where you place them and what they can prepare for, then you could just add some more minions because that villain mm. probably has them. And one of the advantages of that is because, I mean, a lot of things in 5e kind of 
move me away from playing uh, in a lot of accounts. I'm just rolling out this one singular huge monster. Yeah. That Now there's a lot of targets. And no, you can't hold your formation to coming from every angle. They're all over you. Uh, you have to deal with that. Oh, they attack the spellcasters first. They come up behind the spellcaster and attack right there. That's where you start. They go for the healer first. <laughs> Oh, sorry, my that too cutthroat. You know, I like the mechanics sometimes in that situation of the big bad has a way to summon minions and get out of the fight for a minute. So for a minute, you maybe just have the party deal with the minions, then bring the big bad back. It's a little bit of a video game trick, but it's a good one to do once or twice in the course of a villain fight. Yeah, I mean, most people are not gonna. I mean, it's, I think it's. It, I'm. I keep getting reminded of the scene, the Dark Knight movie, the Christian Bale one, where at the end, right, Batman comes, he finally gets the Joker, Bob, Bob, and he said. Do you really think I was going to put, you know, place all of this on a fist fight with you? You know, like realize <laughs> that like this isn't what this isn't how you win, you know, and that that kind of plays between that idea of, of mine between the villain and the amorphous villain. You know, there's something so much bigger with that happening. The, the trick with that. And I was thinking this as you were rolling it out there, and it comes back to that whole to the whole idea of what does the party feel is satisfying. The problem with the amorphous villain is it's not a very satisfying victory for the party. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you killed them, but you can't actually kill them, so they're still here, and what have you achieved? Which is sort of the point of that Batman, too. That's really sort of the, sort of the point of that set of Batman movies, is that no yeah. matter how much evil he cleans up, it keeps coming back. The it's hand comes back. The, yeah. the crime in Gotham comes back. He can't get rid of it, no matter how many people he beats up. That's sort of the moral of the movie. Which can leave you in that situation of the players won, but they don't feel like they've won. I do like, what I liked about the Vecna-Bronze Lich fight that Tony was talking about, is that the players knew they won. You know, they saw, they met all of the big bad guys that they'd come across in the campaign. They met them in the battlefield and they killed them. You know, the players knew they won. And I think you need that at the end of a campaign. So I think you need that in a villain. Either that or you really need to deliver it in such a way that they feel like it was a victory, even if the, 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 the evil is still amorphously there. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that villain, uh, yes, you should have, but that also ties into the story. I mean, where if you're going to be like, something should come next. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with setting up your additional plot threads, too. No, Batman didn't get rid of all the crime in Gotham, because you know why? Because that would be boring. Well, you know, one thing we should probably mention here is that your villain should be special, right? Even if you're talking like an amorphous set of bad guys, like amorphous villainous entity like the Hand or, or, or Hydra, yeah. The villain the characters are fighting needs to be a step above that. You know, okay, the evil is there and the evil is always a problem, but this villain is actually going to destroy the world or take it over or dominate the player or, or do something else that is another level of evil. Because you can't just have the campaign be about killing the villain of your run of your run of the mill everyday evil. You know, you're not I, I was just going to make that It's not satisfying. I was just going to say that. Yeah, like so. You can you can have the big amorphous villain. You can have the Hydra hand, something like that. But you need to have that that achieved thing of where you took out the big evil that was going to hurt things or blow stuff up right now. Now you, and then you save the world. Yeah. Somehow. Now, sessions later, next campaign or something, all of a sudden there's there's murmurings or bubblings of this, or that leads into the power vacuum that then allows another villain to take place. So that's totally different because it still gives you the, the, okay, we at least defeated this one. 
right? This one is gone. Like that, the, there is that completion of the arc of the adventure. You know, if I'm going to have an well arc said. like that, what I want out of it though is okay. So we defeated this version of, of Hydra and we yeah. kept them from having their, their world dominating plot going, coming together. We kept them from getting the big end of the world weapon. Yeah, what I yeah. want next is I don't want to have to deal with just another Hydra leader coming up and launching another doomsday weapon. I want, if Hydra's going to continue, I want them to be a different kind of player in the next campaign and for there to be a different threat, like Galactus from space. Oh, they're going to learn. You know what I mean? They're going to learn. Yeah. 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 Well, it's not just that they learn, but I don't want to face the same organization multiple times. I kind of, you know, maybe Hydra's here and Hydra plays a different role. Maybe I have to work with Hydra now to stop the even bigger threat. That's how I like my villains to progress. Tony, yeah, I th- uh, this is this is kind of similar to Scott had said it uh, two episodes ago in our player wrap up. But with Sarkaloth, that he was like, that's cool. Like you, you took care of the giant thing. I can just corrupt the small folk maybe next time. I can just do so he's still had, unified uh, under Shogun Jang. <laughs> there was still this corruption that you could, you know, if you if you needed to, could still play with while still allowing the completion of the of the story arc. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, Thorne ha- has uh, some points there, and the way I would use that is Sarkaloth is still a entity in that world, of course, and they're still doing something. And of course, they are an enemy of yours who will right. not soon forget about their defeat they've suffered at your hands. I think there's a real value in having a long-term nemesis. All these characters in the comic books reference Batman had a lot of them. And oh, yeah. In, in the next challenge, if we were to pick this game up tomorrow, I wouldn't use Sarkaloth as my primary villain. They're out there in this world. How do they feel about this new villain and what they're up to? That's an excellent question. Could yeah. you actually find yourself working with Sarkaloth? Right. Who knows? It depends how world, if, you know, Thorne's world-eating creature was going to pop out of the egg, I'd work with Sarkaloth. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. It depends yeah. What, what what's is it stake. Worth? Right. That's what What's, happens next. You know, if, if, if Gadanafo wakes up on the Woodstock Wanderer's world, he can then visit all the other campaigns to eat them. He's like, he's basically <laughs> like, like, like Galactus, you know? <laughs> just traveling through space. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every every DM gets to use my bullshit. There you go. But no, Tony, that's a great point yeah. because what is uh what's cooler than a rogues gallery, right? I mean, that's we live for that stuff in all of our all of our pop culture, whether it's books or television or comics or movies or whatever. All these villains that are out there, and they're not all out there all at the same time, but they're constantly returning in different ways, different formations, always scheming, always plotting. You know, even if you take some out, you know, I mean, how many times has has every goddamn Batman villain been put in Arkham Asylum? Well, that's a big running joke, actually. Right? Security there sucks. As (laughs) I'm running the the Marvel game, one uh, element I want to add is that I, we're working on acquiring what we call contacts in that system where you develop a strong ally. I want to introduce yeah. the nemesis system. You know, who are your enemies? That's kind of like then the DM toolbox. You can't argue with the effectiveness of that, the way they use that in Lord of the Rings games, right? Where, okay, that one orc captain who you didn't who you didn't kill, <laughs> now he advances as a named character who's always going to be a little better than you and is always going to be trying to kill you until you kill him. That's pretty relentless, that system. 
It is. It's very. It's very annoying. Every time you. Every time you accidentally die because you like you're, you just kind of got caught from behind. Now you got to deal with that asshole for the rest with of the Nick game. With Nick the so human annoying. slayer. Yeah, uh, Karth Nog. The... It's like my. And you're there like my controller died. What? Come on. <laughs> you know. So you know that gets to another thing though. I want to. I want to make sure we talk about before this. Uh, before we wrap this up. So we've talked about how do you play your villains with more of a focus on who they are and then how do they appear in the final fight? How do you bedevil your party throughout the adventure to really make them hate this villain without pushing it so far that they hate playing a game with this villain? That villain has to have a presence in your game. So whether that being you don't have to directly F with the party all the time because that got stale. And I've made that mistake in a campaign where this this villain was all over them all the time, and it gets old hat. What you do is you have the villain, you have them discover this individual's plans, and with that, you see the evil that they're doing. So you happen to come across a village, and what's going on here? Um, maybe the villain's not directly dismantling their economy or whatever, but maybe some of their minions are. So, so for you, it's, it's a little bit more of an impersonal kind of evil. They're going after this villain because this villain is doing terrible things in the world, not because this villain killed their parents or enslaved their children or something. I mean, both are, both are effective tropes. I mean, but you have to work all the angles and it's a big world and the villain should have a presence in some of these sectors. Not every village has got a problem was caused by Sarkolov. Absolutely not. But Sarkolov did get all the, the giants going and they were basically tearing the whole campaign world asunder. Mm -hmm. So then ultimately, this is the person that tipped over the apple cart with that. So if you're in on that campaign world and your odds are you know a town that's been attacked by giants, well, he's behind it. Tony, I think you're right in that I've been lucky, let's say, or fortunate to have be able to lean a little bit on the player's wish to play heroes, generally speaking. Like, there might be a couple in the party, like, let's say a Phineas or something. They're a little bit more in the gray areas, but the majority of the party is kind of like, no, we kind of don't like what's going on here or in Slaver's Bay. Even though you guys were forced to go over there, you were still kind of the heroes in the sense of we don't like what's happened. Like this stuff is bad with the kingdom, but this stuff that's also happened with this cult and stuff is also there's stuff going on and we don't like it and we want to help. So I, I've been able to lean onto the heroic tendencies of the players at the table. Uh, so that could be an impersonal kind of evil thorn, like you were saying, like, hey, don't, hey, citizen, why are you hurting that poor man? Or it could be where their backstories tie into that, and then you can lean onto that, but it still is a sense of them wanting to confront, uh, you know, an evil or an ill in the world. Because generally... I think we're playing these games to play out some sort of heroic fantasy in some fashion. General. That, that's general. an excellent point. And yeah. I think something really falls apart when you've got these lukewarm heroes up against the big bad. It's because they're anti-heroes. Like, what is the character motivation now? Is it villains who are in the way of other villains? What are we dealing with? You well, know, even and you the anti-hero, right? Even the anti-hero is still a hero. They're just not a hero in the in the nice, glinty, shiny teeth way, right? Like Deadpool I walk the old lady across is, the street way. 
yeah, Deadpool is still absolutely helping the world out, right? He's just not doing it in a way that's necessarily conducive to a nice society, right? I mean, in turn, you've talked about this before, how some of your campaigns kind of feel like they fall apart if the players don't want to be heroes, right? Well, I mean, isn't it really about, if we talk about what, what Dave just said, Yeah. the DM can feed on character motivation. So I'm here to do good in the world. Well, great. That's super easy. Let me start throwing you some hooks. There's trouble here. If you're a mercenary and you're chaotic neutral and there's trouble, guess what? They may not give a rat's ass. And that's just reality. They're always asking the annoying question, how am I getting paid for this? And <laughs> that, I got to tell you, as a DM, honestly, while if you really do a session zero and they're like, this is what we want, we gritty mercenaries who don't care about anything, well, we could do that. But where, like, what are you really in for this? Because at some point you, you accumulate your money and you've got it. And what are we doing? Fighting bigger mobsters? Um carving out your power, taking over a city, then it gets kind of, it just gets very, dare I say, for a back of a better way of saying it, it's just very gray. And I don't think anybody, I had a guy who told me he was evil, who was one of my players, he didn't do anything evil to his level 10. <laughs> He's like evil light, low zero calorie evil, just not evil enough. I'm like, who are you, Emperor Palpatine, waiting for the right moment? Because if you He's were, Scotty that was cool. Evil, clearly. He's Scotty <laughs> He's, he's from the anchor man. He's like, I'm going to take your mother out for a nice lobster dinner and never call her again. <laughs> you know, I do think, I think there are times when it, when you probably should invoke some personal player motivation. Uh, but you got to be careful with it. I mean, if the villain shows up and, you know, sexually assaults the player's family, you're going to have a problem. That is, Whoa. no one's going to have a good time in this game. Whoa. Don't do that. Really took don't, a left turn. Yeah, that's rough. Jesus. Yeah, don't do the Jesus don't Christ. do what comics they call women in freezers, where you just take their loved ones and the villain kills them for no good reason. It's not fun to go that far. However, it is fun to throw things in the game that specifically irk the characters. Uh, we talked about kind of the um, the red caps thing. Well, now oh. when the players got to come back, when the players of the Woodstock Wanderers got to come back and kill some red caps, they had a good time. Uh, because the Red Caps had beaten them up once before. I think it's okay to have the big bad steal something from the party. The party's going to want to kill them for stealing something valuable for them. It's okay oh, to, God, yeah. to have the big bad screw with them in other ways that make them want to go stop them. Maybe yeah. the party has something, maybe there's something in the party where the big bad needs one of them for a sacrifice or something, and the party's in it for their own good. I think to avoid exactly the situation when Tony's talking about where the players don't want to be hero heroic enough, it's okay to target the player some. You just got to take a light hand with it and maybe don't do the worst things you can think about because that can make it unfun. Mm. So yeah, you, uh, go ahead, Tony. You can go after the personal interests. Like, that is always... Yeah. The, but, I mean, then again, though, then that's the villain directly coming at the players. Now, when I do the scenario where I'm like, well, hey, you know, come to this village and the giants attack and the players are like, so I don't live here. My stuff's not here. I don't care about these guys. It doesn't work. That's why you need a to make it personal. That's why you need a to get lot of that. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with what the people are bringing to the table with their characters, too. They're going to give you a sense as to what you what dials you can lean on. You know, so are they more the heroic tendencies or do they have something like we've done? Right. I, I built Roderick specifically to go into an adventure with giants. Phineas was built specifically to go into Barovia about Strahd. Like you gave it very specific 
motivation for that. So I didn't need to lean on anything for you to, I mean, you guys were there anyway in your stuff, but you know, for you to be in the adventure and to have that motivation, right? I mean, I at the end of the day, lean. we have to kill Strahd because we're not going home otherwise. <laughs> Generally speaking, that seems to be the way out. I don't really. <laughs> yeah, no one really knows, but like you've got nowhere else to go with this. You're like, hey, yeah. let's take the vampire. Let's see if that works. How about um, that? <laughs> you bring up a good point though. When you talk about, you know, players not being motivated by doing the heroic thing. When I introduce a character like that, I usually introduce them with a very specific motivation. And if I'm the DM and the player's got a character like that, I want to tap into that kind of motivation. So, yeah. you know, Han Solo, right? Okay, maybe in the beginning, he's not going to help save the galaxy, but he has a price on his head and he really Perfect. needs that money. So when the Perfect Space Wizard exactly. shows up and offers him 17 grand to ship them Scientific to Scientific term. Yeah, right? <laughs> In fact, That's a perfect example, because then when he turns and actually makes the heroic decision, it's that much more uh, yes. epic, right? It's that and much more. You can, you can have characters like that. You can have player characters like that in your game. But again, that's when you got to resort to the more personal motivations. This villain did something you really want to get him back for or her back for, you know, or there's money involved and you really need that money for something really cool that you do care about. So yeah. it's, it's or, or, or like saving your own skin, which you also care about. Well, Han Solo is a great character, and it's a good example, but also we are working his motivations in a two-hour movie. Now, I'm doing this over a course of a campaign in my session zero. I have to sit down and say, look, guys, you could be chaotic neutral. You could be evil. That's fantastic. Don't be evil. Like, you know, instead of being uh, chaotic stupid, how about don't be evil? I don't take quests because— Be driven. You got to be driven. When I play evil character, I take all the quests. You know why? Because I want stuff. I want XP. I yeah. want clues. I want the items. I want no, the yeah. You want power. Evil characters should be driven. It's kind of the nature yeah. of evil, right? No, blah. It's I not am a not lazy going to. evil. There's not <laughs> a lot of lazy evil. I will you not clear out this mind. Blah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we, we covered a lot of ground here talking about what uh, what we want to do with our villains. How about some final thoughts? What are the last things you want to leave our listeners with as far as what you do to make your villains really cool and something the party really wants to kill? So when you design your campaign, you're going to have to devote you, you have actually X amount of time. And I would mm-hmm. certainly carve some time out to really work out the details of this villain where they are relatable. Even if they the characters don't agree with their motives, they're understandable and they're yeah. clear, the character's defined, you have a good description of this villain, and this villain should be able to give bring the heat. It Maybe perhaps they're a prince with an eight strength, but with a lot of paladins behind this individual, or they're that horrific lich warrior um, that we, who could bring the, the threat. Either way, they have to have leverage over the party it, that last, leading up to a battle, which has got to be climatic. You've had the buildup. It has to have a battle. It's got to be pitched. And just the last battle, honestly, three years from now, is people remember that battle. Like, those are the key moments. That'll be one of the top five. (laughs) That and your ending. I would say uh, I'm going to go back to my point of three different ideas here. You got the triangle axis of evil. You have big monster, kaijus, Godzilla, King Kong, Tarasque, whatever. You have an actual villain. And that is a calculating villain. That's a Darth Vader. That's a Palpatine. That is a Strahd. That's a Malbion, right? That's Sarkawa. Then you have that amorphous uh, evil or amorphous villain where it's an organization. It has tendrils throughout the whole thing. Those three things are all super cool to play with. They all play very differently as to how you are going to introduce the villain, how you are going to tease the villain, how you are going to have the big final confrontation. 
So I go back to my points of with session zero and even before pitching a campaign, give ideas as to here's a couple things that I'd like to run because the, the villain or the, the big bad in them is going to be different. So the big bad in Rampage is going to be the big werewolf and the big Godzilla and the big monkey. Uh, the villain in Game of Thrones is going to be that amorphous evil, which is a lot different. So they play differently and go back to know your players as well. See what they like in things. If they want to kick down doors and all this, then they're not necessarily going to want to have to find all the tendrils of Hydra and and the different uh, lieutenants in it and all that. So with those three different monster types, that's going to change how you introduce them and play with them. And there you go. That's about as much ranting as I can do there. Rambling, that is. It was good. More like rambling. Well, it was a real real scenic tour of Dave's brain. You know, man, we got so many games going on. It's a wonder we're not all insane. So I think think you did a good job. That'll pass for a a good rant here. All right. Uh, I'm going to try to. Okay. After seeing that, I I worry about doing this. I'm going to try to break down to five steps. Oh, creating a great villain. And number one, you're going to want to start with what is your villain concept? For me, I usually start with the villain early on. You know, what put together something in your head that's going to be cool. That's going to be your version of Darth Vader and or Emperor Palpatine, the great old one and the guy who's trying to wake him up. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a, a foreign military leader who's trying to take over the world. Come up with something neat, something that's got some inspiration behind it from like a painting you've seen or something that's really kind of a gripping idea that you feel like, yeah, that guy's people are going to remember that guy. He's going to be terrifying. The party's not going to want to end him. Two, think about what this villain's plans are and try to craft a really logical reason they're doing what they're doing from their point of view. Their point of view can be that they're greedy. Their point of view can be that they're power hungry. Their point of view can be that they want to sacrifice the world for their own good. But when you lay this out to the players, when the players start discovering it, the players can't go, why is he doing this? The pl- it should make sense to everyone you're telling the story to why he's acting. So that's two. Motivation and plan. Three, think about how this villain is going to bedevil your players. What in- what specifically are they going to run into with this villain that's going to make them want to kill it without being so annoying it makes them want to kill the game? That's important. Is this a villain who can fuck with them politically, where all of a sudden the players are getting arrested when they come back to town? Is this a villain who's going to be sending assassins after them and burning their villages down? Is this a villain who just, you know, the players came across some really cool item and it swoops in to steal it? Because, hey, I need that item and I'm too badass for you to do anything about it and just takes it. Is it a bully, basically? Is this someone who just wants the players kind of get involved with his interest one too many times, totally smacks them down and leaves them for dead? Think about that. What are they actually going to do to interfere with your players that's going to make your players hate that villain? After that, you're going to want to think about, number four, how does this all escalate into something the players have to deal with? So not just how is the villain bedeviling them, but how is that kind of end game of your story going to play out to, okay, the villain's getting close to achieving what he's going to achieve or what she's going to achieve, and the party needs to stop them. Think about that kind of that ramp up towards your conclusion and what that's going to look like. And five, finally, final showdown. You know, nothing's going to be more memorable than their final showdown with the villain. This villain who was a cool concept, who had a logical motivation, who's been a thorn in their side for, you know, 20 levels, who they've seen ramping up and outrunning them and getting ahead of them where they can't seem to stop it, and they finally get their chance. How do you make the final confrontation cool? Those five things, I think, really make an epic villain, and that's 
well, my final thoughts on villains. Guys, thank you a lot. It's a good time talking about what makes a good bad. And for all of you listening from home, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. We appreciate all the support. Podcast and the website have both been growing by leaps and bounds. If you haven't checked out the website, go to threewisedms.com. We have an article there every Wednesday in addition to the podcast every Sunday. So you get twice as much content if you go check out our website. If you have something you'd like to hear us discuss, please either enter it on the website in the What's Your Problem field. You can send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're really active on all those platforms. We talk, we answer questions, we post funny stuff. Check us out there. We'll talk to you next week on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.